Cinema Matchups podcast. We are your hosts, Kim Kohler and Sean Rodenberg. And we are here with the first of our one verse 16 seeds from our movies from books bracket challenge. So we are officially in a home stretch and only have our one verse 16 seeds left. So this is the first of those four matchups. And then we will have five podcasts following that breaking down each of the four respective quadrants and then one podcast focusing on our final four and battling it out until we get one winner at the end. So very exciting in the official, I think, home stretch of this. So today we have Suspicion, which is our one seed that comes in at a 97% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes based on the 1932 novel Before the Fact by Francis Isles was made into a film in 1941 by Alfred Hitchcock. A lot of fun production behind the scenes facts about this one. Apparently, Cary Grant was a huge diva on the set about this movie, uh, was really jealous that Joan Fontaine got nominated for an Oscar over him for this movie, was a real miserable person to work with. Him and Alfred Hitchcock had some troubles, then had to mend those troubles and then worked with Alfred Hitchcock in three films following. But overall, it was kind of a nightmare, it sounds like, to work with on set. In addition, Hitchcock was actually forced to alter the end of this movie because the studio was concerned with Cary Grant's heroic image and didn't want him to be portrayed as this malicious murderer. So the end of the movie is actually very different than the end of the book. So at the movie, we see a drink that the main character Lena has that is placed on a nightstand. And then in the book, we actually know that it is poisoned and she drinks it anyways. So she knows that he's murdering her. So very different portrayal of Johnny in the book than in the movie. So the car scene doesn't even happen in the book. I didn't read the book, but I know that a lot of things were altered. But the main thing was that ending just because they didn't want Cary Grant to look like this really bad, not charming guy because he had a very big persona in Hollywood and was seen as the hero and as the dream guy. But regardless, this movie was nominated for three Oscars that year, including Best Picture and Best Original Score. It won one Oscar for Best Actress for Joan Fontaine. And then on the very other end of the spectrum, we have our 16th seed, which is Along Came a Spider, which comes in at a 32% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which overall isn't really that bad for a 16th seed for this bracket. I know coming up our very last film, our very last 16th seed, I think is like a 5%. So that's very 16th seed worthy, but this 32% isn't bad. So anyways, Along Came a Spider, based on the 1993 novel by James Patterson, was made into film in 2001. It's actually a sequel to 1997's Kiss the Girls, So we made a mistake and watched this movie first because Kiss the Girls is also recommended in our bracket. It is also a 16th seed and we'll be watching it, I believe, two episodes from this one. So we're watching the sequel before the prequel, but who cares? I don't think it matters. I don't think it matters at all. That's what I was thinking when we found that out. It was kind of a no shit moment. But then I was like, what would change? There wasn't any plot continuation besides maybe introducing Alex Cross and that was about it. So I guess we'll see when we watch Kiss the Girls, but this one did come second. So this movie was a huge box office success despite its low ratings, had a $60 million budget, made $105 million, huge opening. People were really excited about it. A lot of changes again in the book than were in the movie. And as I was reading the changes in the book, it actually excited me. And I think it would be fun to 
incorporate them into the movie. And I'm not sure why they didn't, but who knows? So in the book, and I know if you haven't watched this movie, you probably won't know what we're talking about, but I'm going to talk about it anyways, because we watched it. So in the book, Sanji, who is the bad guy who kidnaps the senator's daughter, Megan, has dissociative identity disorder and lives his life as a normal suburban guy with this secret. And he goes to trial. He doesn't die like he does in the movie. He goes to trial, is found guilty and then is placed in a mental institution. Also in the book, Alex and Jesse have a romantic connection. It's alluded to a little bit in the movie, but it's never expounded upon. So they have a romantic connection. And then also, because we find out that Jesse is the bad guy at the end, Jesse dies by lethal injection. She's also not murdered like she is in the movie. She is goes to trial, is found guilty, and is sentenced to death. I just think it's so fascinating that I've actually read this book and I'm surprised by all of that. I didn't remember (laughs) a single thing. Clearly. Uh, Another thing, too, that they changed in the movie, Megan, the girl who was kidnapped, is found by Alex Cross at the end. And in the book, she is found two years later and she's hidden with a Bolivian family. So a lot of big changes. I don't think anything too, too large but who knows maybe if they followed the book format a little bit more it would be more interesting it adds a lot more context i think to sanji's character by giving him some more like context of i guess he supposedly per the book he developed associated identity disorder following some heavy childhood abuse so it seems like there's a lot of context and i know naturally you get that with books more than you do with movies but i guess we'll get into it when we talk strengths and weaknesses but this movie as much as things were going felt a little bare bones in terms of context yes so i think that these things that they left out and omitted from the book were pretty big mistakes because reading this and knowing these things actually makes the movie sound a lot more interesting than it was advertised. So that being said, no Academy Award nominations for this movie. I don't expect any of our 16 seeds to have any. But no Razzies, we'll though. No Razzies that I came across, but I didn't look too heavily. But I don't think so. So that's it for the statistics of this movie. We're going to talk themes. We're going to talk strengths and weaknesses, little details that made a big difference and battle it out until we have one come out on top. And going into the themes, the theme of these movies is actually the title of one of these movies. And the theme is people being suspicious. So we have two movies that are pretty much the same genre. We have a mystery crime drama movie that we're watching in both of these a little more romance thrown into suspicion but that's not really barely the gist though. of it yeah but it's set up in a way where it starts with some romance but then you know that he's crazy so i guess it's different but we'll start with each of these and talk a little bit about the suspicious people in both of them and give you a brief overview of who these people are and the parts they play into this movie so talking about Along came a spider. We have Alex Cross, who's a detective. And we see at the beginning, he loses his partner in an operation and takes a break from his detective work and then is called on specifically to investigate this crime where this young girl, Megan, who is a senator's daughter, is kidnapped from her school and she goes missing. We find out very early on that Sanji, 
who posed as a teacher at that school is the person who's taking her. So he's establishing some contact with Alex Cross through, you know, distorted voice and things like that and leading him on this wild goose chase basically to catch him. But then we also see that Alex has a partner named Jesse. And going forward to the end of the movie, we find out that Jesse and another Secret Service member who worked at the school were actually working together trying to scam the FBI into giving them millions and millions of dollars in diamonds and then killing this girl. They don't end up killing her, but that was their plan. So at the end, Alex figures this out and kills Jesse and saves Megan. So a lot of suspicious characters, a lot of buildup around who did this, where she's hiding, what Sanji's next move is. And you're so focused on Sanji for the first half of the movie because it seems very clear that they've given you on a silver platter. This is the guy. This is why he doing it. This is how he's doing it, where he's keeping her, all of the things he's got going on. And then it takes that turn. And my one of my problems with this movie was that turn that it took because Jesse was suspicious the entire movie. I don't know if you felt that way. Not at all. Really? Really? So I definitely felt that way because there were things that she did that didn't add up to me. It was mostly her body language and facial expressions. I think specifically after Sanji dies, Sanji comes to her apartment where her and Alex are working and trying to figure out this case. And Alex ends up shooting Sanji and she looks devastated when it happens. And that's when I was like, this, why this seems really weird that she is not, Oh, thank God we got the guy or anything like that. She just, her body language is really weird. So when it came to find out that she was the main ringleader in all of this, I was surprised, but not as taken aback as I could have been. I think the twist could have hit much harder than it actually did. Hit pretty hard for me. One of the reasons that why I didn't suspect Jesse though was because she was just messing up the whole time. And I was like, oh, this is that movie where the one detective is cool headed, sure handed, and the other one just keeps messing up. But I feel like she did a really bad job at messing up. Case in point, there is a scene where they see Sanji leaving this house of this young boy named Dimitri, who's played by Anton Yelchin. It's not his house, obviously, because he's like eight, but he lives there. And so they see him leaving this house and they're like, oh, let's go get him because they were staging a stakeout in front of the house. And they go and they try and get him and he gets in this cop car and he drives away and he's like, Jesse, shoot the tires. Alex Cross is telling her, Jesse, shoot the tires. And it's taking her a really long time to fire that gun. And she hits one and then misses a ton. And for someone who's Secret Service and someone who is assigned as a detective, a lead detective on this case, she shouldn't be missing the tires. And even him, when he's saying it, he's like, Jesse, come on you know, oh, why is she hesitating? Why is it taking her this long? By that point in the movie, though, they paint the picture that she's completely inept. She was supposed to look after this girl in this school that can be locked down, and she wasn't. And I was like, this dunce. And it happened a few more times, even though every single time, Alex is very supportive of her. And he says, oh, you know, you just made a mistake. You were trying to do the right thing. And I was like, Alex is such a good guy. Well, it goes to show... 
him being supportive because of what happened to his previous partner. And he doesn't want anything bad to happen to his partner. So he's trying to be supportive. She's not his partner. (laughs) But also, I just don't agree with you. I think that she did not portray herself as this inept secret service member throughout the entire thing. I think there were some mistakes to be made, but she was one of many people who were staged in that school trying to protect these children. And I think that she was not as duncey as a character as she was supposed to be. You know, she wasn't the Will Ferrell in the other guys. That's fair. I guess it just depends on if you believed she was a dunce or someone acting like a dunce. So I think for me, it was just I trusted her competency at the beginning. And then when she started showing those signs of not being all in on this or really full speed aheading and like shooting the hell out of the tires of the car or being in any way celebratory when Sanjay died or being motivated to look for Megan that just threw me and I knew there was something up with her. So she was pretty much the main suspect in that movie and same going over to suspicion. We have one person who's pretty much the primary suspect of the entire movie. So background for suspicion, we have Lena who is the main female lead in this movie and She lives a pretty wealthy, well-to-do life with her parents. They cut her a lot of slack because she's not getting married. She doesn't have anyone. She meets this guy, Johnny Asgarth. I said his name like a true Chicagoan right there. I I gave it a real Chicago accent there. Sorry, I just had to stop and notice what happened there. Johnny Asgarth. Um, So she meets Johnny and falls in love with him very quickly. They get married very quickly. And then things start to become suspicious. And her father gifts them these old family heirloom chairs and he sells them and reveals to her that he's actually broke and doesn't have a dime and all the honeymooning they just did all of the traveling they just did was basically going to come out of her inheritance and all of the money that she had and so she's pressuring him to get a job then she finds out he got fired from his job and then mysteriously her father dies and then Beaky his best friend mysteriously dies And there's all this air of suspicion around him because he was in the same places or he was out of town when all of these events happened. But he's pretty good at coming up with an alibi for himself, even though we all know deep down inside that he's using her for her trust money. And we find out that he is aware that he will get her trust money should she die. So all very suspicion. Yeah, the only thing he didn't do was vent. (laughs) If any of you play Among Us, I was just waiting to see when Sean would bring this reference into this podcast. Johnny vented in the in the engine room. Oh, my God. Yeah. If you play Among Us, you know what Sean is talking about. But if you don't, we sound crazy. But basically, it's this game where little blobs have to murder the other little blobs. And one of them is the imposter and one of them sus. One of them suspicious. Yeah. So yeah, Johnny is absolutely the most suspicious person in the world. And the ending confuses me. So when I was watching this movie, a couple things about Johnny, I think he was so suspicious without 
lowering his charm levels. So I thought it was really funny when we look into the production stuff and they talk about him not being charming. So cutting some of the more lethal suspicious stuff out of it, because I thought he was very charming throughout the entire movie. And you can see why she keeps lowering her doubts about him throughout it, because he always seems to be a smooth talker. He always has an alibi. He's like a used car salesman without the scumminess in this movie. Still pretty scummy. Oh, well, yeah, because he's probably murdering people and trying to steal their money. But he plays it really, really well. And as I was watching this movie, a really funny, or what I thought funny, maybe nobody else will, thought came to my mind and I equated it with something else. So to me, the whole thing, this movie felt like the real life story of what happens to Disney princesses when they marry someone after they've known them for only a day. You're funny. (laughs) I was like, this is what happens. They turn out to be scumbags who are trying to get you for your inheritance or for royalty or something like that. This is the true life story of what would happen to these people who marry somebody after knowing them for a day. But that's all that it was. She didn't know him. She was in this rush to get married so she could please her parents and please just the appearance of herself because she didn't have any other suitors. And then this is the shit that happened to her. Can I tell you what Disney princess story this is most like? Sure. Tangled. Flynn Rider's the most charming. But Flynn Rider is a good thief. He's not a murderous thief. Sure, but he also is in it for most of the movie exclusively for money. To quote Flynn Rider, I've got dreams like you know really, just much less touchy-feely. Something, something to be someplace warm and sunny on an island that I own. Surrounded by enormous piles of money. Surrounded by enormous piles of money. (laughs) Yeah, I, yeah, sure, I guess. And also she ends up being part of a wealthy family, so. All true, all true. But that's just what I thought of when watching this. But I think Johnny is very suspicious. He's very charming. So I think the whole movie is really fun because you're wondering what he actually did and what he actually didn't do. You're wondering, does he have any part in the death of her father? Her father was older, but did he kill him? Did he murder him? Because he already knew that her father hated him and didn't approve of him at all. And when her father died, they, he willed down a giant portrait of himself to them, which I thought was a hilarious, real, real good move. But then there's Beaky's death. And you're pretty sure that he probably had something to do with that because him and Beaky traveled to London together And then he claims he got on a train and came back, but Beaky ended up dead that very same day. So it's all very sus. And then you have the ending scene with the car, like you were talking about, of him driving at the end with Lena, and she thinks he's going to kill her. And then they live happily ever after, and that's it. So my thought on this is... That you can't convince me that he doesn't kill her eventually. Because what ends up happening is her door flies open and the way it goes is it looks like he is trying to push her out. And then she's fighting with him and screaming and they stop the car and he turns to her and says, your door flew open and I was trying to save you. Which is exactly what he would say if he tried to kill her and didn't. In the words of Michael Jackson, he's a smooth criminal. He really is. So you can't convince me he's actually a good guy in the end. So no matter what he does, you just can't convince me he's not a killer. 
no matter what, because he's able to talk himself out of anything, including at the end when she comes to the realization that he's not trying to kill people. I don't know how you could do that because he's been doing that the whole time. No, I totally agree with you. I think from an outsider's perspective, you look at this the whole time and you're like, this guy's killing people. He's embezzling money. He's bamboozling people. He's doing whatever he can to make sure his life is comfortable and nobody else's and he doesn't give a shit about anybody. But her, who is so motivated to be this perfect specimen of this wife who lives in this grand house and has this wonderful husband and a lot of money, I think being motivated by that and him being such a smooth talker and her not being very experienced in relationships, I would assume, she's so easily foiled and fooled by his excuses that she continues to lead this life with him and continue to think something's up. And then he persuades her that it isn't and then continues to be suspicious of him, but doesn't really make a lot of moves in telling anybody else about this or alerting anybody else about it. So it is almost like she's an accomplice to him because she's so naive and he just has her wrapped around his finger. And it's really incredible. I guess, but she also knows. She is aware. Well, yeah, she is aware. That's the thing. She is so blinded by love and is so big on this idea of what love is. And we see that specifically in the book and talking about them changing the movie adaptation of her purposely drinking a poison that he gives her and knowing that he is murdering her because she just succumbs to the power of this guy and has no defenses against him much as she does in the movie, but it plays out very much more ominously in the movie with a, just the end kind of rolling at the end of that car scene. And so I think the dynamics between their characters, while one of them is more good hearted than the other, they still play a big part in how one another thrives and how one another has the lifestyle that they want. And it's really incredible because they're both so against what each other wants. So Johnny is very against having this very easygoing lifestyle with Lena and wants all this money and wants them to travel and wants to go do things. And then Lena is obviously very against this murderous, thieving, embezzling, selling stuff lifestyle that he has. But neither of them stop one another from doing that. They do things to reinforce those lifestyles throughout the whole movie. So then they're both pretty comfortable with with one another until he realizes that he has to kill her so he can get more money. So that's the gist of Johnny's character. And it's a very fun movie and it's a very early. So this was made in the 40s and it's very fun to see something like this because you can see how pop culture took this and really got away with it with the husband, the boyfriend, the girlfriend, even being someone who has not the best of intentions in relationships. And we see this play out in a lot of movies after this. And it's really fun seeing this one sort of set the foundation for that. Like the underrated Michael Myers movie. So I married an axe murderer. I love so I married an axe murderer. Yeah. Oh my God, me and my mom used to watch that all the time when I was younger. I had no idea you'd seen that movie. I've seen bits and pieces. I know it exists and I know what it's about. We're going to watch So I Married an Axe Murderer after this because it is fantastic. It's so funny. 
Okay. I love it. I love it. If you haven't seen So I Married an Axe Murderer, go watch it because it's hilarious. I don't know how it holds up because I probably haven't seen it since I was little, but I remember loving it when I was, I was young when I saw it. And I don't know how appropriate that movie was for children, but I know I watched it when I was very young with my mom, but yeah, we're going to watch it. But that's funny. You bring that up. So anyways, we got off track. Let's go into strengths and weaknesses of these movies. And let's just stay on suspicion and talk about strengths and weaknesses for suspicion. So let's start with the weaknesses for suspicion. So my weakness, and we've touched on it a little bit. This movie's really good, so it's tough to find a weakness. But just logically, she would leave him in the first 20 minutes of the movie. I don't think so. Okay, hold on. Let me make you out a list. He buys a house with Lena's inheritance in mind. He says, babe, I bought you a house. And she says, what are we going to pay for this with? He says, oh, the money that you get when your parents die. But he then phrased it as, do you want to live in like a little, I'm again, not quoting this movie, but he says it in a way of, isn't this the type of household you want people to know you're living in? You don't want to live in something tiny. You want to live in something extravagant. He grooms her. So she comes on to this idea. Okay, fine. That's one Keep of them. Keep going. Go ahead. I'll defend all of them. He sells her family heirlooms to go gambling. Yeah, I'd be pissed on that one. That one's pretty bad. But you know what? That those one's ch- really early, too. Yeah, those chairs were ugly, though. They deserve to go. What do you do with those things? They just are giant eyesores in the middle of the room. He was fired for stealing $2,000 from his boss. Yeah, that one I can't defend either. But that's when she starts really being hot on his trail. Okay, not just that. Hold on. Wait. He's unemployed for six weeks. Things happen. He was looking. He was taking time to focus on himself. He was looking for the next horse to to (laughs) put down money on. No, no, no. He was traveling with this friend to London and taking some me time. There are two mysterious deaths when he is around. Two of them. Not one, two. Hey, I'm not saying the guy's innocent, but again, he's not. I can see how she doesn't have any evidence for either of these. And he told her, oh, my God, you must have heard the news about Beaky or you must have got the telegram about your dad, which is also suspicious because how did he know about both of these things before her? Because he killed him. Yeah, I know. But doesn't she think like, how did he know about these things already? If he was on a train, how did he know that Beaky died? And same when he was coming home because she had just gotten the telegram. Like, how does he know that her dad is dead? So now you're flipping over to my side no. and putting more <laughs> into this case of that her how she should have left him within the first 20 minutes. It was a different time. And hold on, I, again, hold on. I think she I got was one so more. blinded by love. I got one more. A completely normal thing for him to say when he leans in to kiss her for one of the first times in their relationship. What? You thought I was going to kill you or something? Which is never said by someone not trying to kill you. Let me bring you back to a time when we first started dating. And for months, months on end, Sean would not tell me where he lived because he thought I was going to come and murder him at his home. Don't you think that made you a little suspicious? No, I think that made me logical because you could (laughs) have. But if you didn't know where I live, you couldn't do it. Yeah. He didn't tell me where he lived until he wanted me to come pick him up so we could go buy a pizza at a grocery store together. It was worth it. 
I was really craving that pizza. I was like, I will exchange her knowing where I live for the pizza. Oh my God. No, I, I hear all of the things you're saying. I think he is definitely the most suspicious character ever. I think it's very clear of- Of all time. Of, of ever. He's super suspicious. But I think putting ourselves in her shoes, there is some understanding of her values in this relationship and what she's in it for that she's actually getting despite him doing all of these suspicious things. Yeah, I just don't agree. He is straight up so suspicious and she should have left him very early in the movie. There's no logical way for her to continue to be with him. Nothing logical. Don't blame the victim in this situation, Sean. Okay, hold on. Let me go the other way then. He should have just killed her faster. Yeah, there you go. Anyways, uh, going into my weakness, my weakness is stupid because this is a weakness of the time this movie was made and not of the actual film. Because overall, I could not find a weakness for this movie. I thought it was really, really great. It was. But my weakness for this movie is so they have scenes where they're riding in a car and it's old Hollywood visuals. So they basically have this limited movement green screen behind them Love it. of the road behind them. And you can clearly tell they're just in front of some kind of canvas and someone's just shaking the car a little bit to look like it's actually moving. And it's so silly and goofy for such a suspenseful film that it takes away from a little bit of the suspense and adds a unintentional comedic moment in there because of how far we've come for the time. I don't think it was bothersome at all the time it was made, but watching it now, you're like, well, that's a little silly. The kids in the 1940s watched this and said, whoa, it looks like they're in a real car. Exactly. So it doesn't affect the overall tone of the movie for me. I needed to find a weakness. So this is what I landed on. It's just kind of a bullshit weakness, but that's what it is. Going over to strengths, though, I have two strengths and one of them is a smaller one. So it is that the score moves with the mood in a non-obnoxious way. And this is exactly parallel to my thoughts on Along Came a Spider. So that's why I wanted to bring it up just for battle worthy things, because I'll talk more about it when we get to weaknesses. But I thought Along Came a Spider score moved in such an obnoxious way. And this one, the score changed to be more dramatic when there was more suspicion in the air, but not in a way where it was noticeable, but not super obnoxious or super scathing. And I loved that about it. And my other strength for this movie is I absolutely adore the fact that we know about as much as Lena does throughout this entire movie. We're very much in the same headspace as her throughout it. So I think that's why talking about your argument, really thinking about what she was going through, I'm able to empathize with her a lot more because we don't have any more details than she does. We're reading the same papers. We're getting the same alibis from Johnny as she is. We're talking to the same characters. We all know the same amount as she does in this movie. And we don't see what Johnny's doing when he's out of town. We don't see what he's doing when he's not at home. And I loved that because it made him so much more suspicious and it didn't give a single tad bit away of any of his movements. And I thought it was awesome. I mean, I guess that just means that we know between us, if we were in a relationship with someone who sold all of our family heirlooms, 
stole $2,000 from work, was unemployed for oh, six absolutely. weeks. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I would get rid of you in a second. Absolutely. But again, different times, different people, different personalities, you know, it's not that easy to walk away from some abusive relationships. So we have to remember that. No, that's fair. But I hear you. I think today's modern age, those things stack up and you're like, oh, absolutely. Get me out of this psychopath's lair. But I loved just being in it with her and knowing from an outsider's perspective with those more modern perspectives of run, girl, run. But also I get it. I get how he's charming. I get how he's leading her on. It all makes sense because you have the same context that she does. And it's great. I love that though, because we really don't, we spend zero time with Johnny alone. It is always with her. We are with her alone, with her, with someone else, with her, with Johnny. We are never with anybody else. We are never with Johnny alone. It's always from Lena's perspective. And I do really like that. And I think that's a great string. Mine is that, I'm absolutely invested to see what's next in this entire movie. Every time he does something suspicious, they up it so incrementally where at times it feels like the next suspicious thing is just very slightly more suspicious than the last. And it could go seven, eight, nine, ten different things that are suspicious and it increases just so perfectly. And you never get closure on any of those suspicions, which I really like because like you said, they move so quickly up and up and up with all of these possibilities of these crimes he's committing, these murders that he's committing, that you never close the book on any of the previous suspicions. So For instance, you have her dad who mysteriously dies and that's suspicious, but then that quickly gets closed because then he's not been at his job for six weeks and was fired. So, but then that doesn't get closed because then you have Beaky dying and then that doesn't get closed because then you have her falling out of the car almost. So it's always these things that are stacking up against him, but we never get any kind of closure that, okay, he did it or here's the evidence, we don't go along on the tracks of each one of these. And it sounds weird saying that aloud because you think that that would make this movie messy or you think that it would make it confusing or frustrating because you're never getting clarity on any of these accidents, mishaps, things that have happened, but it makes it build and suspense so much more and makes it so much more fun. And I think it's because they do a great job of being able to up it every time. There's not a suspicious action that is less suspicious or sketchy than the previous one because it's like he sells her heirlooms, right? Which is bottom tier. That is less suspicious than him lying about being unemployed for six weeks. And that is less suspicious than someone that he was with just the day before dying. So it's ramping up every time. But if that's out of order, I think then that falls apart because then we're so worried about the big one and not the little ones preceding it. That makes sense. Yeah, you lined it up really well. Yeah, you said it. It just builds that suspense and it really is just a fun movie to watch, even though 
all of these things are happening in the background. We don't see Beaky die. We don't see her dad die. We don't see the inner workings of him selling these heirlooms. We don't see him getting fired. The only thing we really see is the car scene with him trying to push her out of it. So it's all these things in the background that we are not exactly seen. So we don't even know the severity of it, but it's just a really great movie and it's really fun how they set up that whole plot. But since we've been talking about it for a while, let's transition over to Along Came a Spider and we can start with the weaknesses of that. I said I would talk about it in parallel to my strengths of suspicion. So let me just throw that in real quick. I have a lot of weaknesses for this movie. We talked about it in the very beginning when we talked about just a real lack of context to anything that was happening and everything felt really bland and pointless. But my weakness for this movie is the score and it really bothered me so much. So I equated this score to if you guys are familiar with any of David Fincher's movies, his Fincherism sounds where he has this very ominous background music, this almost scathing nails on a chalkboard music for really intense scenes. You think about, I'll think of one of probably his more popular movies and that being Gone Girl, when Ben Affleck's character Nick discovers the shed full of all of these things. That music and that loud, scathing, almost sireny type of sound, that was what Along Came a Spider felt like. But having it done during every dramatic moment moment that ever came up and it coming in so abruptly that it just jumped you out of your seat a little bit. And it was so scathing and didn't move with the mood in a fluid way. And I hated it. I thought it was so obnoxious. I was like, just be more subtle. You can be more subtle. We know that the things that are happening are dramatic because they're talking about them being dramatic. David Fincher uses it in a way where the characters aren't saying anything and you're putting this emphasis on the score to pull through that suspense. Along Came a Spider did not need that because it was very dialogue heavy. And all you had to do was let the characters explain why things were suspicious and not throw in that score to make it super obnoxious. Yeah, the score didn't really bother me, but I did notice it at times. But it wasn't something where I covered my ears and was like, oh, gross, this score. Yep, that was me just writhing in pain the entire movie. Yeah, just it didn't bother me. I could get over it. But I know what you mean when you say that it was a little off. So my weakness is that once I started asking questions about this movie, the whole story unraveled. So Sanji, his whole goal is to kidnap Megan in order to get to Dimitri, in order to get to Dimitri's father. So why doesn't he just kidnap Dimitri at the school? Because Dimitri's the smarter kid and knows how to code a 1997 Mac. Okay, that's fair. And we also never know why Sanji wants to get to Dimitri's father. We never figure it out. It's never explained. I don't know, but I think it's a testament to this movie that I really don't give a shit. I really don't care because not that this movie was bad or unenjoyable. It was actually a lot better than we expected it to be. But also the plot line was so kind of boring and non-contextual. So those extra context points that you're talking about. I think it needed so many of them that if I tried to sit here and rattle my brain with all of the contextual points it missed in the plot, I would just get a headache because there's so much missing. Now, you said Dimitri was smarter than Megan, right? Megan is insanely logical 
because if I were a young child who was kidnapped and for the first time I heard a voice of someone that I felt like I knew pretty well, I'd probably go out to see him and not be like, why are you alone? You're suspicious now. Yeah, that was suspicious for a child to think that too. So what Sean is talking about is while Megan is being held hostage in this pretty much barn stall, like a horse stall. Jesse comes to the door and is like, Megan, it's me, Jesse. And Megan knows Jesse from her school. For and, years. Yeah. And so Megan's like, why are you alone, Jesse? She doesn't automatically open the door. And that's pretty weird. I would have opened considering the door she's immediately. Been, yeah. Considering she's been held hostage by this guy for weeks months at this point in time but who knows i just think yeah as a kid you are more trusting of a familiar voice but then again sanji was also familiar to her and we know how that turned out but then i think along the lines of that then alex comes in alex cross comes in and she's like automatically trust him Here's the thing. He came in by himself to this barn as well. So the same question you're asking Jesse of why she's alone. Why aren't you asking Alex Cross this question? I know he just killed Jesse, but still you guys are walking out hand in hand out of this barn alone with this stranger. And he's like, yeah, I'll take you to your mom and dad. I'd be like, no, 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 sir. Been down this road before. We've just done this three other times. Right. Yeah, but I can I can see that. Yeah. So as soon as I started asking questions about this movie and kind of pulling at threads, it all started to unravel a little bit with me. That makes sense. It sort of goes into my strength of this movie. And despite that, that you're talking about, and despite my big problem with the lack of good context in terms of the plot, this movie moves right along really well. It feels very fluid. It doesn't feel like there's dull moments. It doesn't feel like you could cut time. It doesn't feel like it needs more scenes, even though it does. I don't know. That doesn't make sense at all. But I think if you see this movie, you get what I mean in that as the movie is right now, it doesn't feel like it needs more. But if you wanted to make it a better movie, it would need more. Yeah. One of the things that I noticed about this movie coming out of it was when I thought back on it, I could really only name you like four things that actually happen. Because they have these big scenes thrown throughout the movie. And I think you have the original kidnapping scene. You have this scene in front of Dimitri's house. You have this scene at the barn. Hold on. And you have Sanji coming into the apartment. So the second scene that you mentioned. The scene at Dimitri's house? Yes. That's the second scene you mentioned. That's an hour to an hour and a half into the movie. But the first hour of that movie wasn't boring. That's where the strength of this movie lies, is that that somehow wasn't boring at all. Well, I think it wasn't boring, but also going into it and thinking about it more. I think it also wasn't complicated. This movie is a mystery movie. And I think suspicion has this too, in terms of battles. I think they're both on par with each other here is that it's not hard to follow what's going on in Along Came a Spider. They're both mystery movies. They're both crime mystery movies, but for both of them, 
it's very easy to follow along what's happening. Even in Along Came a Spider, when the twist comes of Jesse being the bad guy after all, then you wonder like, okay, how did this come about and think more on it? But everything falls pretty well and is put into your hands pretty well. And they set it up pretty nicely. So I think overall, this is not a confusing movie. And I think that's also contributes to the fluidness of it and why it moves so easily because you don't have a lot of complicated what ifs or suspects or anything like that. It's very clearly laid out to you. Yeah. And then my other strength is that this had a lot of twists and I like that. I like twists in movies. Throw as many as you possibly can at me. Even if it makes it ridiculous, I like twists. There was one movie we watched in our last bracket challenge And I remember you liked it because it was so twisty and I hated it because there was a twist or a quote unquote twist. They weren't super surprising, like every 10 minutes. And I was like enough. And I can't remember what it was at all. So I just looked. Fun fact, we edited this in between. So I just looked and the movie I was thinking of was Oculus. And it's this horror movie. And you're like, oh, I liked it. It was kind of fun. And it just was so fucking confusing and so twisty and convoluted. And everything was changing and the perspectives were changing through the entire movie. And it gave me a headache and it made me want to scream and run away. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, see, so that's where we're different in that. Anyways, again, we're just sidetrack city on this podcast, but let's get into little details that made a big difference in both of these movies. And we'll start with Along Came a Spider. So my little detail is nothing super serious, but it's something that made me think the entire movie, and I don't think you or I have an answer for this, but was uh, 2001's FBI technology that good that they could zoom into pictures a hundred times and then see the name on the and bottles, see the name on the tiny prescription bottles in the corner in the mirror. Was it really that good? Is it that fucking good now? You know, can you actually do that if it's out of focus in a picture? I don't think so. I'm leaning towards no. I'd lean towards yes. And the only reason I say that is because I watch football and they have pretty good technology in order to figure out if the ball touched the ground or not. But that's different because that is a video that is shot with a bunch of different cameras and a bunch of different angles. This is literally something they have that is a video link type of thing that doesn't move like you can't zoom in on that stuff that clearly. I just don't think so. It's like taking a photo or a video of a concert, right? And you zoom into somebody in the crowd 35, 40 rows back and you're able to see what the name on their necklace says. I just don't think that in 2001, they had the technology capable of doing that. I mean, you're probably right. I'm just trying to give you some pushback. I know, but it just bothered me through the whole movie. I was like, there's just no way that they'd be able to solve this. So that's why it made a big difference to me because them being on to the name on that prescription bottle really opened up more things for them. So I was like, there's no way they'd get past that. This movie would end there because they'd be like, well, fuck, can't see anything. Game over. I find it interesting when you go with a bad little detail. It made a big difference. I also couldn't find any good little details for this movie. But if you have one, let's hear it. So my good detail is not necessarily a 
detail, which I guess would make it non-usable here, but I'm going to use it anyway. And I was trying to think of why this movie was so good in the first hour before the plot really starts to move. And it's because Morgan Freeman being a detective, 10 out of 10, I'll watch it every time. Because he's so calm and cool. And then that's it. He's the, he's he's the cool-headed the, detective. I don't believe that he is the Alex Cross that this novel portrayed. I think that he's, he's better. He's way too soothing than what was supposed to be in this movie. But he's fine because I'll really watch anything with Morgan Freeman in it because he's just he's calming and wonderful and just seems so nice. And you just want to give him a hug and have him read you a story. You mentioned David Fincher, you know, uh, who also made a detective. What's in the box? Yeah. And the best part about Morgan Freeman in that movie is that he keeps the entire movie from falling apart and being absolutely insane. Agreed. We could talk about we could turn this entire podcast into a David Fincher. Podcast, All right. Time to go. No, I'm <laughs> we love him so much. And I think we harped on that in our girl with the dragon tattoo podcast. But we just love him so much. Anyways, let's go on to little details of suspicion. Mine is that the smallness of the cast increased the suspicion because there were no extra players. So you mainly saw Johnny, Lena, her parents and Beaky. And then there was some characters like his boss and a few here and there. But those were the main people you saw throughout this movie. So I would argue that there's five characters who are main and supporting characters in this film. And because two of them die, you have three characters who could potentially be suspects, right? If you're looking at this from a very optimistic and open viewpoint, one of them being Lena, who you follow through the entire movie. So that just leaves Johnny and her mother Ooh, her- I like where you're going with this. Her mother did it. <laughs> framing Johnny. No, that's not where I'm going at all. But her mother adds no suspicion. So just the amount of smaller characters, it leads to Johnny's suspicion because there's nobody else to point fingers at or no other factors involved because Johnny's going with Beaky on this trip alone. And it's all very weird and suspicious but then you come to think of what is he doing outside of these five people what is he doing in his travels what is he doing before he met lena yeah like who's he robbing who's he murdering and it's so interesting because you don't see anything he's doing that he could be murdering someone every day who knows we don't we have no idea so i just liked the smallness of the cast and the intimacy of that just upping the suspicion factor throughout the entire movie I love that. You know, I love a movie with a small cast. My little detail is something that I might just have looked way too far into and it might mean nothing or I've noticed something extravagant. So when Johnny and Beaky are going into business, they're hatching some real estate scheme and Lena is trying to warn Beaky about Johnny very subtly and Beaky ends up leaving the room and Lena and Johnny are going upstairs. Now, when they first start the conversation, Lena is about two stairs above where Johnny is and they have this conversation while walking up the stairs at the same time. And as Johnny is telling her off and trying to gain control of her and get his own suspicion down, 
he passes her on the stairs and in the frame he goes from being under her to being on top of her and being dominating and i don't know if that was meant to be or it just happened that way it was probably meant to be that's super fun but again it could be nothing it could be just he was walking a little faster than her we're gonna give hitchcock credit and say that it was purposeful. And it probably was, because I don't think a lot of things are left up to chance, especially in his movies. But that's really, really fun that you noticed that, because I definitely did not. I'll rewatch the scene a couple times and see if I even noticed it really well, or like I said, if it's him just moving a little faster up the stairs than she was. Maybe they were racing and she just didn't know it. Yeah, he said tag your it, and then went up the stairs real fast. <laughs> Anyways, I think it is time, guys, for us to get into the winner of this matchup. So we have two movies that both surprised us pleasantly and both are in the same pretty much genre of film. But which one will move on to the next round? Let's reveal that in three, two, one. Suspicion. Suspicion. Suspicion moves on to the next round. An awesome, awesome, awesome movie. You can rent it on Amazon right now for, I think, $2 we rented it for. You can also rent Along Came a Spider. And honestly, both movies very entertaining. It's really fun to have two movies that are very much the same genre, both very far apart in time, both made 60 years between one another in the same matchup is really fun for us to watch and very different from some of the movies we've watched so far. I think we've gotten a lot of period pieces. We've gotten a lot of dramas, but not a lot of crime mystery type movies. So this was really fun for us. So thank you for recommending these movies. They were really great, but suspicion does move on to our next round. It is our winner. And with that being said, we will continue on with our one verse 16 seeds. And that next episode will drop on Friday, October 23rd. And that will be between sideways, which is our first seed versus dark places, which is our 16th seed. Go ahead and check out your brackets on Shalonge right now. Again, not a lot of movement, but we're getting really excited for narrowing these films down further. Please give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter at The Cinematchups. And you can go listen to some of our other podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker right now and get caught up before we get into the second rounds, third rounds, final four rounds of this bracket challenge. So again, we appreciate you guys so much for listening. We thank you for taking your time to listen to our podcast. We love doing this so, so much. We look forward to it every week and we are so appreciative of all of you guys who have listened and supported us. So for today's episode for the Cine Matchups, we are Kim Kohler and Sean Rodenberg and thanks for listening and we will see you next time.